Amen for help. Amen. Wow. Again, it's good to see you. It seems like it's been a long time for some reason since we've been together, but I'm thankful that we are, and I'm thankful that you wanted to come today and that you wanted to worship the Lord uh, with your brothers and sisters today. What a blessing. Uh, as I mentioned last or week before last, uh, we are continuing on facing the giants, and we all have these giants in our life. And today we're going to be facing the giant of loneliness. And you may say, Bill, I ain't lonely, so I guess this message isn't for me. Well, guess what? It is. Amen. Consider Linda. Linda thought basically that life was just another word for goodbye. Linda was raised in a farmhouse during the Great Depression. And early on, Linda learned all there was to know about goodbye. She lost her brother in World War I. And soon thereafter, she lost her mother to cancer. But when Linda married Richard, she had a brand new hope for a fresh beginning. But soon the Korean War hit the headlines and it was goodbye all over again. Richard left to serve and her loneliness returned. But Richard came home from the Korean War and Linda began to prepare herself for a life filled with joy and a home filled with children. But what followed were years of frustration as they tried to conceive children but could not. Linda and Richard found their empty nest to be a very lonely place. Finally, they did have children, and the children grew up, but those children made decisions that broke their parents' heart. Unwed pregnancies, divorces, custody battles, alcoholism, even imprisonment. Linda missed those little children that she used to snuggle with, and as a result, she felt lonelier than ever. But at least she had her husband. At least she had Richard. But then Richard was diagnosed with the almost fatal, always fatal, Lou Gehrig's disease. Did Linda have enough strength to make it through this most painful goodbye of all? You know, when surveys are taken to discover the biggest concerns that we have in our society, loneliness almost always tops the list. You see, we were created for fellowship. Created for fellowship, and when we're deprived of fellowship, it can be deadly. The Lord God said in Genesis, it is not good for man to be alone. So having already faced the giants of fear and the giants of discouragement, we now focus our eyes on this giant of loneliness. What is this thing called loneliness? Well, it's a sick feeling you get in the pit of your stomach that Tums and Rolades can't cure. Loneliness is an anxiety that doesn't come and go. No, it stays with you all the time, and sometimes in the middle of the night it will smother you. Above all, loneliness is a longing to be complete. A longing for completeness. 
So how in the world do we handle loneliness? Well, there are some people who turn to food to self-medicate their loneliness. Some people turn to alcohol. Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to work, all to fill that longing that they have in their life. Others will strain existing relationships, placing irrational demands on the relationships they do have. Others are continually hunting for something new. Continually hunting for something new to make them complete. Maybe it's a new city. They're hunting for a a new church. They're hunting for a new relationship after a new relationship after a new relationship. And some even handle loneliness by taking their own life. Loneliness is a crisis. It's a crisis that every one of us here today will face at some point in our life. Did you say, oh no, not me, Brother Bill. I don't have this issue with loneliness. Well, I want to tell you that if you don't now, you will at some point in your life. So let's take a few snapshots, if you will, a few portraits of loneliness that exist right here in our own church. It might be the person right next to you. See if one of these might fit. First of all, there's the lonely single. Many people struggle with loneliness because they routinely return to an empty home, cook a meal for one, and watch TV shows with nobody to discuss them with. They are keenly aware of what it feels like to spend New Year's Eve alone. They know what it feels like to spend Christmas alone. They know what it feels like to spend the weekend of 4th July alone. Friends, that can be very, very lonely. But there's also the lonely spouse. You see, although God created marriage to, to provide us with oneness and with intimacy, some of the loneliest souls are married people. One wife said, my husband works so hard and he provides us for uh, many things, but all that work keeps him from being able to meet my emotional needs. We're like two ships that pass in the bathroom. I don't want to nag him, so I just try not to think about it. I try not to dwell on the hurt and the emptiness, but I'm still lonely. Then there's the lonely survivor. You see, it can be a bittersweet gift to be a survivor of a marriage that makes it through death or even divorce. Think about it. You construct a life with shared experiences. You construct a life with shared feelings, shared homes, shared favorite restaurants, and boom, it's all over. Friend, that can be very lonely. But there's also the lonely senior citizen. Every day, more gray hairs come on your head. Amen. <laughs> All except for your preacher. Amen. Every one of us is growing older, and that's nothing new. But senior citizens often feel as though nobody needs them anymore. They feel hurt because they've given so much of their lives to their children, and now maybe their children don't have time for them. That can be a very lonely, lonely place. 
Then there's the lonely sufferer. You see, physical problems manifest themselves with emotional symptoms. Pain, chronic pain, isolates us. And the more we're isolated, the worse that pain gets. And we feel like we're all alone. Nobody understands our pain. And I'll tell you, that can be a very lonely place. But there's also the lonely servant of God. In this world, there are few people who are willing to put God before everything. Think about missionaries, pastors, church leaders, those disciples who are sold out to serving the Lord before everything else. And often they feel like they're weighed down with the burdens of those people they serve. Sometimes that can be a very lonely place. King David understood loneliness. In Psalm uh, chapter 102, he wrote, I am like a pelican in the wilderness. I am like an owl in the desert. I am like a sparrow alone on a housetop. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul knew what loneliness was all about. At the end of his life, he's all alone. He's in prison. And he writes to Timothy about his loneliness. And he says, be diligent to come to me, Timothy. Come quickly, Timothy, for Demas has forsaken me and departed for Thessalonica. Crescens has departed for Galatia. Titus has departed for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. And at my first defense, no one stood with me. But all forsook me. So obviously, feeling lonely is not a sin. But I think you would agree that when we get to that place where we're lonely, we're more apt or more, we tend to sin all the more. So let's look today at the biblical prescription for lifting your loneliness. The first thing you need to do to cure, to lift your loneliness, is you need to acknowledge the reality of your loneliness. It's real. Loneliness is real, and it can be very painful. So you need to be honest about how you feel about your loneliness. The last thing you need to do is resort to listening to those catchy cliches like these. Someone might say, oh, you're never lonely. Christ said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You can't be lonely. Someone else might say, Jesus said, I'm with you always. So how can you feel lonely when Jesus is with you all the time? And while those are technically true, they're also very insensitive and very unrealistic because we're living in a fallen world. Some people think, I must not admit to pain because I'm a Christian. I must not admit that I hurt because I'm a Christian. I must not admit that I have these struggles. I'm a Christian. But I want to tell you, friend, there's nothing Christian at all about those types of points of view. Loneliness doesn't come because of something you did. Loneliness doesn't come because of something somebody else did. Loneliness doesn't come because of something you lack. Loneliness comes because you belong to the human race. You're a human being. And the Bible teaches that it's given to every one of us to be lonely for a season. 
So acknowledge the reality of your loneliness. The second step to lifting your loneliness is to allow God's provision for your loneliness. We need to remember that ultimately, only God can solve your problems. This country spends an astronomical amount of money on counselors, psychiatrists, psychologists, and the like. But ultimately, only God can solve your problems. When something's broke, where do we go? We go to the manufacturer. God is your manufacturer. And whenever you have a problem, you need to realize that only he can fill your emptiness. People can't fix it. Although we like to think they can. Money can't fix your loneliness. Although we like to think it can. Nothing in this world will ultimately satisfy us. You must know the one who made you. And the only way to know him is through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the most basic form of human loneliness is separation from God. The further away from God you are, the more lonely you're going to feel. Consider Jesus nailed on the cross. In Matthew 27, 46, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sounds pretty lonely to me. Why have you forsaken me? At that moment, Jesus was carrying the sins of you and me and everybody else on this planet on his bruised and bleeding shoulders. He received the punishment that we had coming. And as a result, he had to endure that dark loneliness of God as the father had to turn his back on his son. Can you imagine how lonely it was on the cross? But that's what he did. And Jesus did that for you. He did that for you so that you wouldn't have to experience that. That kind of eternal loneliness. I think that's one of the things that's going to be very prevalent in hell. Is loneliness. Because loneliness ultimately is a separation from God. So we need to accept God's provision after we acknowledge the reality of our own loneliness. But thirdly, we need to allow God's word to fill our heart and mind. Having acknowledged how you feel, having embraced your faith, we need to begin to immerse ourselves in the word of God. We need to find out what does God say about this season that I'm living in? What does he say about my loneliness? What does he want me to do? How am I able to handle this? Ultimately, he knows. And he says, if you will let my word overflow from your mind and overflow from your heart, you're going to make it through this season. When you're lonely, friend, the voice of God always speaks clearly. You just need to open the pages of this book. He speaks clearly. Friends, millions of people before you have been comforted and encouraged regardless of when they read it, regardless of where they read it, regardless of what they were enduring when they read it, and you will too. If you will go to the Word of God in your seasons of loneliness. You won't find any of those 
catchy cliches in here. Instead, here's what you will find. You will find tried and true experiences of people just like you who were lonely and wrote about it for our benefit. Psalm 27.10, David said, When my mother and my father have forsaken me, sounds lonely, doesn't it? Then the Lord will take care of me. Hebrews 13, verse 5 said, For God himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? He'll never leave nor forsake us. So friend, when your batteries are running low, I want to encourage you, don't walk. Run to the word of God and read what he has to say to you about this season of loneliness. The fourth and final step that I've got for you this morning is probably the most important. And that is to activate your network of Christian friends. 1 John 1, 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Fellowship is one of the cures for loneliness. Now, this next statement may be awful insensitive, but it's the truth. Are you listening? Say amen. Loneliness is a choice. Loneliness is a choice. One giant my mother fought was loneliness. And I can remember having conversations with my mother over and over again, encouraging her, no, urging her, begging her, Mom, get involved in your church. She would say, Bill, I'm so lonely. And I would say, Mom, serve the Lord in a ministry of some sort. I would say, Mom, please, just reach out to other people who are in need. But Mom never would. And so her loneliness was her choice. God has provided us with everything that we need. Everything that we need. And if we choose to dwell in a lifestyle of loneliness, then that's a choice we've made. He's given us his son. He's given us his word. And guess what? He has given us brothers and sisters in Christ to help us with loneliness. I think that's one of the big reasons why God created the church. It's so that we would be here for one another. We'd be here together. We're just incomplete without one another. I can't imagine not having you. Amen? And I know you can't imagine not having me, right? Whatever. We're just incomplete without one another. And just listen to what the wisest man the world has ever known said about that. He wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one. Man. Why? 
because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift the other up. But woe to him who is alone. For when he falls, he doesn't have anybody to help him back up. Again, if two were to lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Alone. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, a lot of times we spiritualize the last part of that verse 12 there about the threefold cord. We know that Jesus runs in the midst uh, of our cord, so to speak. But what is he really saying there? He's saying, well, if two is good, then three is better. If I got two together that can help me to get lifted back up and, and fight off my enemies, then just guess, guess what if I start hanging around with three of you? Amen? What about four? What about 50? What about 100? A threefold cord certainly is not quickly broken. But you might say, well, Bill, I just don't know anybody. Don't know anyone. Well, listen to what Proverbs 18.24 says. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. So maybe you need to be friendly. You say, Bill, well, I don't, well, I'm not one of those kind of people that likes to take the initiative. But how will anybody know about you if you don't make yourself known? You say, Bill, I don't really feel like anybody cares about my problems. But if no one knows your needs, if no one knows what you're needing, how can they help you? So we must be humble and, and willing to share our needs with one another. I mean, if you can't share it with a brother or sister in Christ, who can you share it with? Loneliness is a choice. And within the church alone, there are ample ministry opportunities that will slay this giant of loneliness. All you have to do is just talk to me. You're looking for a ministry opportunity, a place to serve? Just talk to me. Talk to another church leader. Talk to another ministry leader. Oh, man, they'll let you know. They'll let you know how you can make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll let you know how you can begin to break the grip of loneliness, not only for yourself, but maybe for somebody else. You see, friends, God works through people. He works through people who are intertwined together. Say together. He works through people who are intertwined together, even though sometimes we got some messy knots. Amen? Amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we get all entangled up, and it gets messy when you're trying to serve together. But does that mean we don't serve together any longer? No, it doesn't. Alone, we are so limited. Imagine if I came here every Sunday morning, my sermon was prepared, I was ready to roll, but I didn't have a music minister, didn't have a pianist, didn't have a congregation to listen to, but man, I'd let it rip. Does that make any sense at all? The ministry would be so limited. 
Alone, we are so limited. But friend, together, together, we can change the world. Do you believe that? Together, we can change the world. And I believe that God wants us to. He wants you to be part of something that is alive. He wants you to be part of something that is effective for growing the kingdom of heaven. He wants you to be a part of something greater than yourself. So he built the church. The church together is far greater than just one of its members. So God wants us to use that loneliness, to use the life that he's given us. Because maybe, maybe your loneliness, if you put it to work, might slay the giant of loneliness in somebody else. I know many of you have recognized that already. But last Sunday night, I closed the message with two important facts. And I was almost dared to preach the same message again this morning, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, those of you all here from last Sunday night know what I'm talking about. But anyway, let me share with you the two closing important facts. Number one is this. The basis of why I'm saved is because of God's grace. Without that, I ain't saved. The basis of why I'm saved is God's grace. I can't earn it. I never will be able to earn it. I don't deserve it. I will never deserve it. It's just a free gift that I accept when I trust God to come through on his promise. I accept by faith what Christ did for me. And the basis of my salvation is God's grace and his grace alone. Now this is an important part. If you're listening, say amen. That was the basis of why I'm saved. Now I want to talk to you about the proof. The proof of why I'm saved. The proof of why I'm saved is my ministry. You say, Bill, do I have a ministry? Well, if you're a believer, you do. If you're a believer and part of this church, you got a ministry. You may not be fulfilling it, but you've got a ministry. What is a ministry? It's just a $10 word that means serving God by serving others. Yeah, you got a ministry. The Bible says that if you're a Christian, you've got a ministry. The Bible says that you are called to serve. The Bible says that you are saved to serve. The Bible says that your ministry is part of the deal. Now this part's important. Because James in chapter 2 spoke it clearly. He said that if faith doesn't work, if faith doesn't have a ministry, if there's no evidence that you got faith, then it's not real. Did you hear me? If there's no evidence of it, if there's no proof of it, if there's no ministry of it, then it's not real. You're kidding yourself. See, real faith is not just something you say. 
Real faith is not just something you feel. Real faith is not just something you think. Real faith is not just something you believe. Real faith is something that you do. That's where the evidence falls. Where is your ministry? Many Christians really need to settle that issue. Many Christians really need to get this part down right. Many need to say, I want my belief in Christ to be visible for the world to see. So do you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be? You're a believer? Well, then have you discovered your ministry? What is your ministry? In our life group this morning, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, we were reminded what Paul said to the Philippian believers. He said, let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. You need a ministry. So if I were to ask you, what is your ministry here at Bethel? What would you say? Many of you could answer me without hesitation. Others might be struggling with the answer. Today is the day to be able to answer that question. Because this body of Christ lives, breathes by doing the work of God by serving other people. And every single one of us has a place in this ministry. I'm going to give you one great example. I placed a, a children's life group's sign-up sheet out on the table in the foyer. That is one ministry, a ministry of discipling children, a ministry of discipling the next generation. And anybody in this room can do it. It's a rotation. You only serve two months at the time. But we need more people to disciple our children. So if you're struggling with an answer to that question, What's my ministry here at Bethel? Maybe that's a great place to start. Oh, there's many, many others. You just contact me or one of the deacons or any of the ministry leaders. They'll let you know. We're always needing more. We're always needing more. And when you do that, when you fulfill your ministry, you might also lift your own loneliness. So during my prayer this morning, I want you to begin thinking about your ministry. You can say, Bill, I'm a believer. And I'm going to say, okay, great. Show me. Believers serve. Believers know that they're saved to serve. They're called to serve. So where's your ministry? Every one of you are ministers. And my prayer for you is that you will be so convicted by this word 
that you will say, I have got to get plugged in to a ministry.